There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter. Willie and I are, are all about encouraging the next generation of entrepreneurs. And Lord Willie Hockey. Hi, Jane. Hey. Me, Tarzan. I was dying to say that. <laughs> the Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Good morning, Tom. Morning, Willie. Welcome morning. back. Thank you. Thank you. Well, lots to talk about this morning. My goodness, it's been a busy week for business. It's been yeah. a busy week. Yeah. So, what we're going to discuss this morning, the good and bad of everything that we've heard from the government this week. The thumbs up, the thumbs down, <laughs> Willie. We'll, we do that perfect thing for radio, eh? Yes, definitely. So, let's start with the mini budget. Right. So, which year? Obviously, there's some of the things in it that don't affect Scotland, and we'll go through that as, as, as we go You know, as we go on. Yep. But uh, what do you think of the, the big ticket items? So I think, in general, Willie, this is a bold budget. I think it's one of the boldest budgets I can remember. They're, they're saying the boldest budget since the Thatcher years. And um, I, I actually like it. I think it's taken a bit of a risk. And Liz Truss and Quasi Quartang are really giving this a go. I think they're they're tuned in to what business people in this country are worried about, what the consumer's worried about, and they're trying their best. And I think they need to be applauded for that. <laughs> so, Willie, are you going to applaud Liz Truss? That, that's my first question this morning. I can't believe in your first sentence you mentioned Maggie Thatcher. <laughs> Probably half the listeners have switched off now. Um, some of it was uh, very welcome, some of it was a bit surprising for me. You know, I didn't understand. It was like using a kind of good news day to put out bad news, but I didn't understand the taking away the cap on the bankers' bonuses. I didn't get that. So, like, you know, you say to the ordinary people, here's one pence in the pound back for you, but we're going to uncap as to how much bankers can make, and I just don't understand Trust that. you, Willie, to focus on the negative. Come on, there's a lot of positives here. Oh, there's definitely a positive. I mean, they, they never put the wine ju the duty up in wine, so that will go down well in a few places. <laughs> Certainly in my household. <laughs> Sorry, Barry. And, um, but... There's a few things here which are going to pose a challenge for Scotland, mainly around about the income tax, because as as we know, income tax has devolved to yes. Scotland, and Scotland has been running a higher top end, only by a penny or so, yep. but it has been running a higher tax for higher earners than England. Therefore, in Westminster, they brought down the basic income tax tax rate to 19 pence and they've abolished the top rate now we don't know in Scotland what's going to affect us yeah. until maybe next week or the week after do you think Willie that that makes a difference to higher earning people do you think you know we talk in this show about the attraction and retention of talent do you think 
people go, I tell you what, I'm not going to pay more tax up in Scotland. I'm going to go to Manchester or Birmingham. I don't think they do, but I do think now there is there is quite a few things in Scotland where we pay a bit more. Where you know, I think we're one of the most taxed, you know, small countries in Europe. So I think that maybe that the Scottish government may look at that, and they may have a bit more room there to to maybe even look as if they're giving more away than the UK government. But the problem that the Scottish government have got is is that they can only do what they get with the money they get from Westminster, right? So yep. they're one hand tied behind their back. To answer your question, I don't think anyone moves territory for one pence or two pence, right? But, with, but if you look at loads of things are more expensive, then you might just have an overall view that, wait a minute, it's getting a wee bit expensive, more expensive to live here than it is elsewhere. I think um, if it's one or Two pence, fine. But now that they've abolished the top rate, what is Scotland's answer going to be? We, we can only speculate. If if they left it in place, I think there might be a brain drain. I think they might, Willie. Mm. So I really hope they don't. I think I hope they follow Westminster here and not just mm. play petty politics. It would be the right thing to do, but I doubt they would do that very much <laughs> because most of the mini budgets and budgets set out by the Scottish government is is that they tend to try to focus more on what they see the people down below and I don't think that they'll be that worried about trying to um, decrease the 45p maximum. So so something that was trailed before the mini-budget came out was we had the energy help for consumers capped for two years but there was nothing for business and then last week they came out and said, okay, we're going to cap this, but for six months, yeah. it must be a good thing, Willie, but probably not long enough. I definitely don't think it's long enough. I think that this would have to be as a minimum for 12 months. And it's interesting, it's still a bit woolly. Yes. Right, and and the thing that's not clear is, is where does the repayment come from? Right, I mean, all well. of these things, you know, at the moment there's, number, there's figures getting branded about, you know, in fact, 45 million, sorry, billion, 60 billion. billion, right? Who repays it? But what's really interesting in all of this, Tom, I don't know if you noticed that, that the Bank of England have made it clear that they will not be the bank of last resort, so they are not going to buy all of the debt. So just for our listeners this morning, Willie, what does that actually mean? If the government were going to issue bonds uh -huh. to help pay the debt and help, as your favourite word, with the cash flow, <laughs> right, then the bank would have always been there to buy up these bonds. I see. And what they're saying is that they want that burden shared, you know, across. So some of the big institutions may buy some, other people, you know, buying guild, buying bonds, whatever it may be, any monies that we can get into the treasury. But it's interesting that, and, and I still say, Tom, I think that the Bank of England are culpable in a lot of this. Well, the other thing that happened this this week, Willie, um, which has got to be kind of bad news, was interest rates went up 50 bips. The the so-called clever money was, it, was on it going up 75 bips. Um, the Fed in America put it up 75 bips. Europe put it up ECB, 75. Yeah. But the Bank of England went for 50 bips, taking our rate to... 2.25%. Yeah. Is this the end, Willie, or is there more to come? Uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's the end. And this is the thing that people, there's some good news this week, you know, I'm saying of the energy cap, the energy cap for business, some of the, 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 the tax rates reduced, but 
people should be really concerned because a lot of the good that's been done and some of the good news initiatives here will be swallowed up by these interest rate hikes. And it's interesting, Tom, the, the PR machine done a good job on behalf of the BOE. As you said, America had went up by 75%, the ECB up by 75%. It was well it was well listed that, um, that this week it was going to be 0.75 from the Bank of England. So they'd done well to make it look as if they'd worked hard <laughs> to get it to 0 0.50. So I, I think, but... This is right bad news. And where it's really bad news, it's definitely not the last hike. Right. But another bit of good news, which was trailed before this budget, was the previous hike in national insurance. We talked about it on the show at the time and we called it attacks on jobs. Therefore, I was really pleased to see that um, from the 6th of November, so it's pretty soon, that that's going to be reversed for employees, which means putting more money in the consumer's pockets. They reckon on average about £330 a year in the customer's pocket and the employer, so the small business owner who's having to play, pay national insurance on behalf of their employees, that's reversed back as well. So the one25 goes back to where it was. You must be happy with that, Yeah, really. definitely happy with that. And it always says any any NI increase, right, was a straight increase, whereas a tax increase on profits means you only pay if you're doing well. NI, you're paying it straight away. So I think this is a really good thing. This is, this is good news. But me and you've mentioned it many, many times. Is it a budget, is it a mini budget that's going to drive growth, right? And apart from maybe the new 40 enterprise zones, and it'll be interesting to see how Scotland follows suit on that one, that looks as if it's good for business. There's not a lot of other things I see here that's job creative. Well, I, I, would, I would hope, you know, there was um, stamp duty decreases, but again, Scotland's got its own devolved... Um, stamp duty, they, they call it something else up here. It'll be interesting to see how Scotland reacts. The enterprise zones, as they say, you know, there's not much detail in them, Willie, but um, we'll get there. I mean, they're talking about 40 low-tax investment zones. Yes. I mean, I, I like the idea of it. I don't know the detail of it. So what, what could we do in Scotland with that? So I, I really hope in Scotland we have a look at the good stuff here and say, yeah, that could be good for Scotland. And we don't spend time calling it something else just because it's Westminster. Yeah, if, if we you know, if we dwell on that, so the 40 enterprise zones a great idea. We look at the you know, there's going to be maybe a relaxation in planning. So that's only good for development, for yep. investment, all of that. So these things are definitely but again, you said they're a lot short in detail. Yeah. You know, so it'd be nice to see once we get a wee bit more meat on the bone, it'll be interesting to see what this really means. But I think it's bold. Yeah. I think it's what the country needed because there was so much doom and gloom about Willie. And I think because news is now in a 24 hour cycle, the consumer just gets bombarded with, oh, it's bad news, oh, bad news, bad news. And, and we talk ourselves into recession. I think we're probably in a recession now, Willie. What do you think? 100%. I, we've been talking about it for months and months and months. Yeah. I mean, that's been kept kind of 
quiet, yeah. but I think we're in a recession. They now. sneaked it out yesterday. <laughs> yeah, the Bank of England sneaked it out with the the hype yesterday, and I think that the the you know the, the Chancellor was saying that you know at the dispatch box that he was saying he was saying that we're in a recession. But I think if you're running a business. Today, I think there's a wee bit of help there. Help with your energy. Okay, it's only six months, but it, it's going to have to be longer, Willie. I think it's help with your national insurance. Fine. If you are if you are making profits, then the increase that was coming has been kept down. Um, you've got to make profits to pay it, Willie, as you mm -hmm. always say. So I think there's some good things here. I think the consumer's been helped a bit. The price cap for two years on their... Um, energy bills and a decrease in their income tax so I actually I actually think this is good I think it is good but we've kept away <laughs> from the controversial stuff come on obviously then. now they're planning to stamp down on the unions in relation to how you can strike or not strike and I think that will go down well not and also they're looking at the rules to be tightened on universal credit and I think universal credit from day one has been a dog's dinner. So it's interesting to see what they mean about they're going to tighten the rules. Yeah. Um, again, I always thought universal credit was something which on paper made sense, Willie, and it would be done by a very clever person who's never claimed universal credit. And I know folk who work in the brew, um, a pal of mine, Drew for the brew, <laughs> <laughs> and, and he says, look, try, trying to sanction people who are in a chaotic life, yeah. it's just madness to, to be doing yeah. this sort of stuff, you yeah. know. So from that point of view, let's see what's in the detail. But um, yes, there is some controversial stuff, but I think there's some good stuff as well. I would like to have seen, no, my, my, you know, my pet subject, I would like to have seen something around about the apprenticeship levy. I think that very, very soon... We're going to have to come up with schemes that's going to get young people into work. And I think we're going to have really good schemes to see that we're, you know, that we we have to retrain people, you know, for, for new skills going forward. And this would have been a good time to maybe make some of those announcements. Like like Universal Credit, the apprenticeship levy is more than a dog's dinner. So it's time to scrap that. It was somebody else's idea. And it really was in the back of an envelope in a half an hour. So I think that I would certainly be trying to influence any way that I can through the parliament to get Liz Trust to look at the whole apprenticeship levy. And, and your whole thing, which I love about the apprenticeship, is let's make it tax deductible for businesses. 100%. Right, Simple no, as that. Absolutely. There's no, there's no, it's not, that's not a giveaway to, you know, successful or rich business people. That is an absolute lifeline to young people to get them a fantastic start in life. So with all these <laughs> giveaways, we talk about it in this show a lot. How do we pay for it? Well, <laughs> or who pays for it? <laughs> I think we'll be a long, long time paying for it. But it's interesting, you know, that I was very disappointed, obviously, at the, at the hike. But we could see it coming. We've been talking about it for weeks and weeks. But you mentioned it in the past. What we need to remember, I think there was 30 years nearly exactly till Black Wednesday on the day when Nigel Lawson increased right, tax by 5% in one afternoon. So the inflation rate went from 10 to 15 and then interest rates went to 20% in one day. So hope that we never get near double digit. No, I mean, I, I, I really hope we don't. But, you know, as we said in the show, there 
I hate asking government for anything. Most most business people do. They just want to get on with their own business. But if you were facing an energy hike of three, four, five hundred percent, there's nothing as a business you can do about that. And therefore, this did need government intervention. But there isn't the magic money tree, not in Westminster, not in Holyrood, and governments don't have money, and the only folk who pay for it will is the taxpayer. Yeah, and I just hope that people don't think that this announcement, this mini-budget, is the answer to the cost-of-living crisis, because it's not, and no, not to dwell on the negative, but anything at all announced by the Chancellor that's a positive, the 1P, the National Insurance Cap, all of that, that was, to a young family striving, all of that was wiped out with a 0.75 BIP rise in, in the Bank of England the day before. Yeah. So trying to think a wee bit longer term, Willie, of getting Britain energy secure, because that's been, you know, we've all been a bit shocked I don't think many of us realise where our energy came from. I don't think the Germans um, realise most of their gas came from Russia. We, we're a bit more fortunate. Most of ours comes from Norway. But um, down in England, they have lifted the fracking ban. Um, Scotland still has a ban on fracking. Any idea if that's good or bad or... There's fracking, no chance of that getting <laughs> <laughs> happening in Scotland. <laughs> Good line. No chance. Um, so when I looked into this, I was amazed that in America, um, fracking, which is the technology has really came on and it's really getting it from outer rocks, gas and oil, so shale oil, um, and that's fracking just the way you get it out. So in America... Places like Texas, the Permain Basin, Eagle Ford Shell, North North Dakota, the Bakken Field. These places, Willie, they have helped America become a net exporter of energy. You know, the Permain Basin in Texas alone is putting out 2 million barrels a day. But let's face it. You and I have been to Texas. It's a big place. Yes. You can frack all you want over there. Tr trying to do it under Blackpool Tower, um, yeah. it's not going to work, is it? Well, it's interesting that you mention that, and this is true. You're right. The advantage that America has, they have these vast acreage where there's no buildings to be affected by fracking. The way that the oil was back in the day in Texas, like huge, absolutely huge. So... The first time that they started fracking in Lancashire, they were actually saying that the Blackpool Tower was now beginning <laughs> to look like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Now, whether that's true or not, right. It's a good the, story, uh, though. Right. But but the one thing, go back to your question and being serious, we absolutely have to look at the mix to become self-sufficient in energy. And I was delighted to, you know, I watched it in question time on, on Thursday evening to, to hear that, you no know, 45% of all the energy, you know, produced for the UK, 45% is coming now from renewables. Wow. Right? So we've not got a long way to go. Wow. But we've mentioned it before, nuclear has to be part of the mix. Every source of renewable wind, solar, tidal, whatever, you know, ground source heat pumps, whatever we've got to do. Not air right? source. Not air source heat pumps. No, I add again. <laughs> um, it's beginning to sound like an advert every week. Um, I, I think that we definitely have to 
double down and make this an absolute priority because this will come again. Right, so this week we're not all doom and gloom. Even you, Willie, a bit positive. So, well done. Delighted that there's no duty on wine. <laughs> Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to Mike Callahan, CEO of Snappy Shopper. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping you with a wide range of business needs. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Mike Callahan, CEO of the Snappy Shopper app, which supports local stores and provides customers with groceries straight to their door. Mike, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Delighted to be here. What a privilege to meet you two. And thank you for travelling all the way down for sunny Dundee. Sunny yeah. Dundee. Sunnier than Glasgow today. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I think before we start, it'd be good if you could maybe tell our listeners a wee bit about your background, your story, then we can get into a few questions. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, um, just a boy from Dundee. Uh, fell in love with the internet at a young age. Mum and dad put a PC in the house. Best thing that ever happened to me. Used to jam the phone line, sitting on the internet. Absolutely amazed at the fact that I could publish content online and people all over the world could see it. So that was the starting point for now, me. Tell me, was that PC out the NCR factory? That, <laughs> that would have been a poetic story, but it wasn't. No, it wasn't, no. One, no. No one who runs out the pub. That you bought in the pub, because Chris Van der <laughs> Kelt told us that story. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that's kind of where it started for me. Started playing around with the internet. Um, Realised I had a passion for computer science. Um, was privileged enough to get a place at St Andrews University to hone my skills. Um, graduated there. Um, while I was studying there, St Andrews is an expensive place to study. So um, suffered with terrible imposter syndrome. There wasn't many Scottish people at St Andrews University, which was disappointing for me, but right, I was okay. one of them. Um, and so started to freelance um, building websites for companies in Dundee. Um, that's where it started. Grew that business to over 100 people. Um, and then I've successfully founded a couple of successful spin-off companies that were incubated there, that have then since spun off. Um, one's raised capital that I'm working with at the moment and another one we, we exited um, during the pandemic. Brilliant. Wow. Brilliant. And obviously in Dundee, is, is there kind of... I was driving through it last week and it looks as if Use a looks like there's a wee buzz about the place. Yeah, you know, see a lot of buildings have been refurbished. A lot of office buildings all look fully occupied. Yep. I went into a restaurant for something to eat. There's kind of I, I was really really surprised. You know, it was a long time since I've been up in Dundee, but yeah. it seems to be on the up and up. A hundred percent. You know, I travelled to Glasgow and Edinburgh every week um, for ten years doing business and. Safe to say the, the reputation of, of Dundee wasn't wasn't great. And being from Dundee, I, I always kind of had a bee in my bonnet about that. So I'm delighted at the regeneration that's gone on in Dundee. Very proud of the V&A. Um, there are only two museums, one in London, one in Dundee. And I'd encourage people to come and see the new Dundee because it is, it's definitely worth seeing. Yeah. So Mike, taking you back, I always ask people this question. Was there anything in your upbringing that gave you this entrepreneurial spark your entrepreneurial thirst because 
I'm always looking for hints so we can make it happen more often. So, what yeah. was happening in your background? So, I think I think for me, uh, you know, I've thought and reflected a lot on that, and there was some really, really simple things that that stand out for me that answer that question. Um, so, I think first and foremost, what I would say is, I think there's a lot of people are just born with it. I think I'm kind of in that category. I would always look at the buying and selling of things and have a keen interest in, you know, how what would I do if I was the the CEO of Coca-Cola, how would I drive that business? So right. I think that's just baked into you. But a couple of things that stood out for me, I can remember vividly um, being a young boy, must have been maybe four or five years of age, being in the city centre of Dundee with my mum. She dragged me into town every Saturday. <laughs> and I remember seeing the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. Uh, not a woman, it was a BMW 5 Series. Um, <laughs> okay. And I looked at it and I said to my mum, oh my goodness, look at that car. That's that's unbelievable. I'm going to have one of them when I'm older. Excellent. And... Uh, and I remember thinking, well, why does dad not have one of them? And so she sort of said, well, listen, you know, we, we couldn't afford a car like that. And everyone thinks they've got the best parents in the world and they deserve everything. And I just thought, well, I wonder why they can't have that. I'm going to make sure that I can have nice things when I grow up. And I had a passion for cars. And that really anchored it to me that I had to work hard if I wanted to have that. So I had that realisation right. really young. Early on, yeah. Early on. Um, I then went to St Andrews University. So I went from a really poor part of Dundee one of the worst schools in Dundee, a secondary school there, um, where it was a school of hard knocks for me. I learned a lot. If you can survive there, I think you can survive anywhere. Um, and then when I went to St Andrews, I then joined the dots because people would say things like, hey, Mike, what are you doing this summer? And I'd be saying, well, kicking around Dundee, well, what are you doing? And they're saying, oh, my, my dad's going to bring my, my car over from America um, and I'm going <laughs> to drive around Scotland in it. And I would go, right, oh, that sounds fantastic. Um, but again, these Can were things that, yeah, absolutely. So th these things sort of highlighted to me the opportunities and, you know, if you worked hard, what you could achieve. Um, so I think along the journey, these are the types of things that inspired me. It was an M5, was it? <laughs> it, was a, it, wasn't, it might have been an M5, but it was definitely a 5 Series. It was, right. it was bright blue, four exhausts on the back, a beautiful mm -hmm. car. Before we talk, you know, about your own business, is there a vibrant kind of networking of entrepreneurs? If we're saying it's buzzing at the moment, is there a kind of system up there, a conveyor belt? There definitely is. I think the people who um, have founded businesses that have managed to get out with Dundee, be it just across Scotland or the UK or even worldwide, we definitely all connect and talk. What I would say is it's a very small network. Mm -hmm. That, again, is something that I think is disappointing. Um, you know, I was introduced to a chap called um, Richard Tate, who recently passed away. He did, um, yeah. I, uh, I knew Richard. Yeah, um, and he really inspired me. I was chatting to him a lot throughout the pandemic, and one of the things that he said to me that really stuck with me is he said, Mike, if you look at Scotland's history and the innovation per capita of people versus what we've contributed to the world, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. kind of, yes. it's in our DNA. Yep. Um, so I really believe that. Um, I think, you know, I'm a small part of that. And he, one of the things he said to me is never forget the opportunity you have to inspire other people to do the same. So when I was asked to come along here today, I thought this was maybe my little opportunity to do 100%. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, what, what Wally and I are all about and what the show's all about is really to, to talk about business because we don't think business is talked enough about and we want to be there as a kind of support so there's some innovative ideas and let's share it with our listeners and let's share it across Scotland. I mean, that's it's as simple as that. Fantastic. And um, that's something we really want to do. So we're, we're, we're really keen to hear your story. Sure. So what's happened now? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about Snappy Shopper. Yeah, so I think um, 
as I said, my first business was a, a service-based business and it's a fantastic company. It's still going today and I'm very proud of it. We worked with some great Scottish companies, um, people like Peter Vardy, uh, Brewdog, Scottish Water. We had the privilege of building their consumer-facing websites, which, right. was, which is really fantastic. But when I was approached with the concept of Snappy Shopper, which wasn't my idea, somebody came to me and said, Mike, I can see you can build apps and technology. What do you think of this? There was a number of things that really resonated with me. So broadly what we do is we democratize technology. So if you think about the pandemic, two of the trends that really accelerated were home delivery, for obvious reasons, and the second one was a reconnection with local businesses. Um, I firmly believe that those two things are here to stay. Um, and so Snappy Shopper is in the sweet spot of both because what we do is we go to your local community uh, convenience store or corner shop, which is probably, a majority of them are family owned. They might have a spa or logo above the door, but it's probably just a franchise. And what we do is we give them the technology to compete in what we think is the modern age. So they're talking about over the next five years, 25% of grocery shopping being done online. Right. Um, I don't think we want a world where we all just buy everything from Amazon. And so what we do is we enable customers to place an order from their local store and get it delivered uh, in that way. Right. Do you do a survey at all? Mike, with your local stores to see if their sales have went up because of this? Yeah, I mean, some of the numbers are, are, are staggering. So if I told you that I had a, a, a convenience store in Dundee, population is just over 100,000 people, um, that store does about um, 30 or 40,000 pounds a week in the shop, and it's now approaching 45,000 pounds a week incrementally on Snappy Shopper. Wow, wow. So you're approaching 2 million pounds a year. My goodness. In home delivery from one convenience store that's so amazing. that's where it all began it is amazing it makes yeah. me think maybe I should just open a convenience store <laughs> um, so, so yeah. let me ask you this question um, I work with obviously some of the biggest retailers in the world and I know for a fact that home delivery is something that they have to do but they find it very very difficult to make it stack up it costs them more to deliver yep. than it does how are the small operators how are you managing to do that is it through economies of scale yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think the problem we've got just now is we move things around far too much. So the example for me that made me really think about Snappy Shopper as a concept was I've got three boys in the house, um, young boys. And when my sons, they came to me one day, they said, oh, there's no batteries in the remote control, Dad. You know, can, can we order them? And before I knew it, I'd ordered them on Amazon, right? Right. Now, uh, that was always an example of a purchase where if I needed batteries, I would have went to the corner shop. And while I was in there, I probably would have got a newspaper, some milk, some bread, whatever. Yeah. Now, those little sales are disappearing from the bricks and mortar retail into the online world are a big problem. Um, and I think they're going to be the death of high street retailers. We've already seen that. House of Fraser, Debenhams, great retail brands that we've lost being bought up by online players. Um, so I think for me, what we're really saying is that it can be done economically if it's done, if you're delivering the products that are already nearby. So we're enabling the existing retail infrastructure. The shop's there. It's open. It's got staff. It's got stock. What we are saying is we can get that stock to customers within a tight radius. And about 80% of the deliveries we do are within one mile of the shop. Wow. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, so it how, works. So yeah. how do you actually get the stuff there, Mike? How, who, who, who delivers it? Is this the gig economy? No, no, no. So no. one of the things that we really don't like is in this industry... The default way to make money and to build billion-dollar businesses, as there's many in my competitive sphere, is they build it on the gig economy. 
Right. So the people that are actually on the doorstep engaging with the customer are getting paid the least amount of money. And I don't think that's good um, because right. the only way they can make money is to literally throw the delivery at the person and then get on to the next one and try and do as many as they can. Uh -huh. So what we say to the retailer is, look, we'll give you the technology to have a meaningful impact on your sales. So your, your shop is probably reliant on footfall. You know, you've got the same faces coming in your, your shop. You might get the odd passerby. But to have a meaningful impact, you know, if you want to double your sales or add double-digit growth to your sales, Snappy Shopper's the one thing that can actually do it. So against the backdrop of the rise in energy costs, which I heard you guys talking about, how do you get more out of your existing asset? So home delivery is that thing that you can do. So our retailers say things like, I absolutely love doing a delivery to Mrs. Smith down the road because I drive past an Asda on the way to get to her. <laughs> she wouldn't have been a customer that would have walked to my shop. Why would she? But she's doing the delivery because it's delivered in 30 to 60 minutes. Asda don't deliver that fast. So these are things that we say, look, it's creating jobs in the local community. So you use your existing staff. Convenience stores move stock around between the wholesaler and their shop. They've got a vehicle. Right. So we enable them to do that with technology so they can serve and have a slightly wider net than walking distance in their store. So can I say, if we follow on from, you see that some of the, the upside of the pandemic is now, the low, although the high street may be getting decimated, and we've mentioned that, there's an opportunity now that local businesses, community yep. service businesses, have got a chance to thrive. Yes. You're actually proving that. So yep. in your model now, once you've proved this, is it um, is your marketing now to go to small communities now and talk to all of us. For instance, if you take Cooper as an example, I'm just yeah. pulling out there, if you went there and went round everyone and said, listen, I can demonstrate this model works already, how yeah. would you like to try a pilot? Yeah, 100%. And that's what we're doing. So yeah. we're now at the stage where, you know, we're doing, we're at scale. We're doing probably, you know, more than 10,000 of these deliveries wow. a day. Wow. I've got a retailer in Cooper. He's doing 60 grand a month right. in Cooper. Where are you going? I never knew that. Right? You know that, right? So, there was a wee Cooper. So, so, so from that point of view, it's a meaningful amount of revenue. I mean, that's a meaningful amount of revenue for anyone. Wow. But for a corner shop. I was shop, amazed when you told huge. me. Yeah. yeah, huge. Yeah. yeah. And a, a large pub wouldn't be doing that. No, no. That's what I mean. So, so, no, yeah. it's, it's good money. Yeah. So, so from that perspective, um, when you start to show retailers what's possible and you say the only thing you've got to do is get your delivery out of the shop and take it to the customer's doorstep. And by the way, you've got the opportunity to cement them as a loyal new customer. Give them a great doorstep experience. It's not a gig rider. It's a member of your staff right. doing the handover. Thank you so much for your order and some supporting a local business. That creates loyalty. Are you responsible for, you know, for, let's say, the last mile? Are you responsible for the delivery? No. No, we don't it's, touch it. It's the, it's the retailer. It's a retailer. So yep. you're the... Okay. You're the technology enabler. We're the technology right. enabler, right. Yeah, which means so. it's less capital intensive. Yeah. Um, and things like, you know, so, so what I'm always a bit worried about is in the model of the gig economy, who are now, they pivoted towards grocery during the pandemic, so they're yeah. now directly competing right. with me. Um, how does a gig economy rider do a proper age check on a doorstep for, say, they are delivering a bottle of wine or yeah. a bottle of vodka or some cigarettes? Yeah. You know, and you've got a student who's non-contracted, you know, they're just getting paid per delivery. Do we yeah. really think they're going to yeah. go through the pauper protocol? I don't believe that. I do think that the retailer will if their license is on the line. Mm -hmm. um, Mike, I was in Glasgow City Centre last week 
and I was amazed at the amount of people on bikes doing deliveries. Amazed. <laughs> right, yep. You've got to look in your wing mirror now every two seconds. Right? Oh, someone's, absolutely, you someone's do. coming up on the inside. I couldn't believe it. Don't, don't go into McDonald's. You'll yeah. find more drivers and riders than customers. <laughs> so, 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 Mike, how, how big are you now and how big are you going to be? So... What it translates into um, in terms of retail sales is the platform's approaching £100 million a year. Right. Uh, we want to grow that to a billion. Um, we think we can do that just in the UK. Okay. Um, we also think that we can take this internationally. You know, retailers, as I said, those trends around serving your community. I think if you're any bricks and mortar retailer now and you're sitting back thinking home delivery doesn't apply to me, then I think you're on a, a short short time span I mean you're, you're going to get knocked out of business so I think for us we are saying to retailers look sign up yes you are going to have to do the delivery we'll take care of all the rest all the technology we'll provide you we'll train you we'll get you up and running um, all you've got to do is bag up the goods and deliver them to your customer so obviously some of the big retailers will be looking at us and thinking wait a minute there's a thorn on our side yep. so um, <clears throat> you, might, you might be getting your door chopped in the next few months for somebody who to take you out yeah I think <laughs> nicely <that's>, absolutely <laughs> I think you know when you've got investors in your company and they've been so um, good as to support the business with capital you know yeah. that's that's ultimately the end objective I think what I would say is despite the fact we've got some really exciting numbers and we're still growing, you know, summer months just past there, out the pandemic, people are back to their normal lives. We're having record-breaking months. Right. That tells me this isn't a, it's not a pandemic fad. It's, it's a trend yeah. that's here to stay. And I think we can all think of scenarios when it would be convenient to get that delivery from a local shop, a local spa, a local premier, a local co-op. You're paying £3 to get the delivery plus maybe a pound fifty comes to us on top of that. So you're paying four, four pounds fifty premium on the shelf price, you can get that stuff delivered. You know, people are happy to pay it. So give us a wee idea of the people that you do employ, hundred other people ever. So are these programmers, are these enablers, what are they? Yeah. Um so the big the big spend is on um computer scientists yes. like me. Um, you know, there's there is fantastic talent in Scotland. Um we need really exciting businesses to keep them here. Um, you know, remote working is a big uh, opportunity yeah. now and, and computer science, it's really easy to work remotely. So you can have companies all over the world employing Scottish talent. Um, what we really want to do is have them working in Scottish companies. So the value stays here. Um, so that's a big thing. Uh, what we also have are um, things like customer service team. We have um, growth coaches who go in and spend time with the shopkeeper and say, listen, here's how it works. Let us, you know, let's get your first few deliveries done. We'll show you how the system works, how to do it. Hold their hand. Um, and once they're trading, once we get a retailer up to two or three grand a week of extra sales in the till, they're off. They've got it. And yeah. they're saying, actually, I know how to do this now. And typically they grow by themselves. And do you have a sort of face-to-face -face sales we do. business development team? We do, yep. So we've got a field sales team of about 10 or 15 people UK-wide. Um, so... We've conquered Scotland. I mean, we've got coverage, really great coverage in Scotland. Um, and we're now rolling out across England. Wales, again, we've got great coverage. Um, we're just tackling England, and that's why we've raised the money is to be able to go after the English market. So you're and, nearly in every small town in Scotland? We are. And, and how did you finance it, Mike? So what had happened is it was, you know, I, I do think that in business, um, there's obviously a lot of challenges and, and there's really hard moments. Um, but I always believe that I like to believe that in those hard moments there's something good around the corner. So I was sat at home in the middle of the pandemic. Um, you know, I'd, I'd built a good business and uh, had a hundred people to look after. And 
for the first time in 10 years, I literally watched no money coming into the company's bank account. And I was, I was in a really dark place thinking, what am I going to do? So when the furlough scheme was announced, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, literally, I, I was listening to it over and over again, thinking, "Am I understanding it? Like, is that how that works?" <laughs> um, so that was that. That was great. But I'd also had an email. Um, so I'm sat at home, wife and kids, and uh, I distinctly remember it was a Friday. Um, I was sitting on the laptop working away upstairs, and gets this email in, and uh, it's basically from a a, a self-made billionaire, a Scottish guy called um, Lord Irvin Laidlaw. Right. And it says, hey, Mike, um, you know, I've, I've been investing heavily in uh, renewables and property. The pandemic sort of put a bit of a kibosh on that for the moment. And I'm looking at technology companies. I'd been asking some contacts who in Scotland's up and coming in tech and I got your name. Have you ever thought about taking a significant amount of money on to grow something really exciting and fast growing, maybe something global? Had a little bit of his own uh, success in there, how he conquered America. So I read this email and I thought, first of all, it's not legit. I mean, I thought, is this something that's going to want my bank details and they'll send me a few million quid that'll be great? I thought, this is weird. So I went downstairs and I, I replayed it back to my wife and she says, oh, you need to you need to reply to that. So I replied to Irvin, we were exchanging emails um, and basically had a video call with him, seeing it was him. Um, right. He then said, look, what's, I told him about Snappy Shopper, I told him about the concept. Um, and he says, look, um, I reside in Monaco, but I'll happily fly over to Dundee and meet you. So he came over in the height of the pandemic. I right. sat and had a coffee at my office. Um, I pitched it to him. Um, and he says, well, how much money do you think you'd need? Uh, and I says, well, it's going to be in the millions. Um, it's not going to be a small amount of money. Um, and he said, well, look, I'll I'll back it. Wow. So he was the... Good the, old Irvin. Yeah. So yeah. basically that, that was that. And I then had an aspiration that I needed someone from the grocery industry to give it grocery heritage. I don't know anything about being a grocer. I'm a technologist. Um and I also wanted someone who'd been there and done it in technology. So with those two ambitions, um, just through networking, I managed to get on the phone with Justin King, who's the ex-CEO of Sainsbury's, right. Very good. on the board of Martin Justin, Spencer's. Yeah. Um, so again, he came to Dundee. I think people must have been bored um, in the <laughs> pandemic. And when I'm on the phone to them, they, they obviously heard something. So Justin drove up from Harrogate, um, again, spent the day together. And he just said, Mike, I think you're onto something here. Um, you know, he was involved in Sainsbury's local, the convenience chain in Sainsbury's. He knows why they did that. Um, and he said, look, enabling the existing infrastructure is the way that this works. If you look at the footprint of convenience stores and draw a tight radius around them all, you can reach basically every household. That's how they've been designed to serve their communities. So he wrote us a six-figure check, um, agreed to come onto the board. Very good. Um, so he came in and the other person I got through a connection was Frank Skivington, who was the COO at Skyscanner. So right. I felt set up. I felt like I had my, <laughs> my grocery expert, my technology expert. We got the money in the bank. We also completed the raise with uh, Kelvin Capital. Uh, they participated. Maven uh, in Glasgow. Uh, Paypoint PLC, who are a big player in the uh, in the convenience um, industry in Irvine as well. It's a great Fantastic. story. Great story. Yeah. It's great how things just fall into place. But oh, unbelievable. You've worked hard for the things to fall into place. And yeah. what about your senior management team? Who's close? Whams or something happens to you tomorrow? Yeah, so, I mean, that was, that was you know, I try and get the perils of wisdom and that's why I was delighted to come and meet you guys. You've been there and done it. Um, so <laughs> that's kind of when I was asking Irvin, I was saying, look, everything I've done before has been self-funded. So you've kind of got the constraint that you use the money that's in the bank <laughs> to grow. Uh, but one of the lessons I learned was that I'd never really spent too much money on good people, even if 
but someone said to me, listen, Mike, this is what I want to be paid. And I thought, wow, that's a lot more than I was thinking. <laughs> You're fed in D after. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Every penny's a prisoner. Um, so particularly when I opened my Edinburgh office, I'll tell you, I thought, what? You know, what, what's going on here? Um, but investment in good people, I think, is key. So I've, I've sort of followed that through and I've built an exceptional uh, leadership team. Um, so I managed to poach somebody from Trip, who was the... Um, so he's now my CFO, Trip were the company that were acquired Skyscanner. Um, yep. I then um, hired um, someone else from Skyscanner into an operations role. I got somebody from the co-op um, in the people role and I'm currently recruiting um, an exciting candidate in a growth role. So I've got a, an exceptional team um, around me. So let me ask you this, because this was obviously something that, you know, that I was alien to me way back when I brought in an investor way, way back with three eyes. How did you find after all the worries that you've got being an entrepreneur, being a single owner of the business, how did you find now kind of having to operate in a kind of PLC discipline? Very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Very difficult. Um, what I would say is I find myself constantly too far down the track, yeah. uh, making decisions, um, pivoting quickly, you know, changing things. Um, you know, I think for me, a business plan has always been on one page. Yeah, you know, it's like this is what I'm going to do, um, and I've thought about it in that in in those terms because broadly, that's what I think business boils down to. If you can't get it on a page, then what are you going to do? Uh, whereas the business plan for Snappy was probably sixty pages during that Series A investment. So I kept on. I, I wrote it, and I realised it was a you know it's a three year plan, and I I kind of knew that in six months it would look different. But that discipline of making sure that you're going to your board and your investors saying, actually, the plan's changing. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, to me, it's obvious the plan is to change, but those yeah. disciplines are new to me um, and I'm yeah. still adapting. Suddenly, have someone in the room saying, no, you can't do that. Absolutely. You know, is, is a big, big shock. To yeah, and system. even if it's a no-brainer, yeah. it's like, well, no, no, you, you still can't do it. Yeah. So. So, so, Mike, as we come to the end of your bit this morning, I've loved hearing the story, the jobs you've created, the talent that's in Scotland yep. that you've attracted and retained. Is there one nugget that you can share with the listeners this morning that you would say really helped you? What's the best piece of advice you think you've you've ever had? I think back yourself. I think if you believe in it, you've just got to throw everything at it and it'll happen, is broadly how I think about things. Um, don't put any limits on things. Uh, there's loads of people tell you what can't be done. But I think if you back yourself <laughs> yep. um, and you believe in it, you'll make it happen. Yeah. Mike, when we set this show up, it was always our intention that we would help, you know, uncover Scotland's hidden gems. Yeah. And certainly you are one of them. What a story. And we're Thank absolutely you. delighted that you've found the time to come on the show today. Thank you very much. A hidden gem Thanks and so not much. a midget gem. Well done, Mike. <laughs> I'd, ra I'd rather be a hidden gem. Brilliant. 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 Coming next on Hunter and Hockey, the board you can't afford. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, providing secure archive storage to your business. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security, and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. 
The board that you can't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. You're through to Willie and Tom here on the Business Show. Hello, Scott. How you doing? Hello, Sir Tom. How are you? I'm doing fantastically well this morning. Good man. Good man. Are you? Were you through our accelerator? We were. We did the, the West Coast Accelerator and we've just finished the Scale Up Scotland programme. Oh, brilliant. You've did two other things. Two and I am next door to, I'm down in the, the Olympic Business Park. So our Worldwide HQ. Our Worldwide. Absolutely. Yes. Well, we're, we're going to get all that in in the show this morning because I want to bum you up. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Scott, before we go to your question, do you want to tell us a wee bit about yourself and the business? Yeah, so with the business as Pillow Partners, we are the UK's leading social impact short-term rental management company. So from humble beginnings in Ayrshire, um, we expanded into Glasgow, then the UK, and we, we manage holiday homes, but um, with against the, the grain of the, the anti-Airbnb movement, every single booking with Pillow helps charities. So we have our own charity. Guests can donate money when they come to stay with us, leave food at food banks, leave clothes for the homeless, and we ask our owners who list with us to, to do seven days a year to give to charity. So we've given to lots of Ayrshire charities, and we like to say that every single booking with us helps local communities and makes a difference to those that need it most. That's, that's very succinct, Scott. And, and tell me, how, what were you helped with in growing your business? I think we probably know each other, do we? Scott, can I ask first, are you a social enterprise? We're not, we're a, we're a profit-making limited yep. company, but we did set up our own charity, so we are registered with uh, with Oscar. Uh, so we do have our own associated charity that um, is with the business, but the main business, Pillow Partners, is just a limited company. Okay, so um, what kind of help did, did, did you get growing this business, Scott? Well, we started um, in 2006, and again, we got the, the West Coast Accelerator, so it was a, a kind of hot desk, so we, we went through that succinct pitching is down to, to your programme, Sir Tom, uh, West Coast Accelerator. We, okay. we learned very well, um, had lots of mentorship um, and it was great during lockdown because the fantastic team at Scale Up Scotland and the Hunter Foundation um, helped us through that with help, advice and um, sources of mentorship uh, and experts. So, yeah, um, for, for us, probably every aspect of business, Sir Tom, we've had help with not just from yourselves but the, the Scottish ecosystem for entrepreneurs right. uh, are the best in the world it's fantastic you, mu you must have been one of the very first companies through Eastpark way back then we we were um, and yeah. so I remember our first pitch we, we won a cheque for £6,000 and that allowed us to expand the business so wow. it was it, just obviously when it was Eastpark in Ayrshire um, but no the, the, it was fantastic to, to our success to get that initial money Right, Scott. So, what's what's on your mind this morning? What can Willie and I help you with? Well, you guys have a, a much higher level um, view of, of what's happening, and with all the economic uncertainty and based on the current climate, do you think now is a good time for us to push for international expansion? Um, we've got opportunities. We've registered the subsidiary in the US. We've got opportunities to go into the EU. Um, based on everything that's happening, is now a good time to um, push for international expansion? Well, the first thing I would say, obviously, having a global business, Scott, I would say to you that first thing I would do is to see if I'd got everything I could get locally. 
right? Mm-hmm. So I would always try and grow my business where you can control the environment. And again, where you may not have to layer on costs. So only when I thought that I had exhausted all the avenues of the UK, potentially, you know, you might want to look at Europe, but if, if you want to take the, your concept, the idea, Globally, I would I would definitely make sure that you thought you had a foundation that would stable enough that, that could actually produce the cash that would allow you to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with with Willie. Go for the low hanging fruit first, Scott. And yep. um, once you've got that, then you've got to hire in the talent who said they've said right, we're going to go to America. I mean, America's huge, so. Yep. Do you take it a state at a time and how do you find the talent that's going to go there? But listen, plenty of people have um, done it, um, but this is a time to be really sure that you're getting the most out of your lower hanging fruit. I mean, what do you think, Scott? Uh, well, we, we, we still, well, the UK is leading at what we do regards social impact. We have a lot of market share to, that we can get and we're probably growing it. Seven percent a month in the UK, so Fantastic. Um, we're, we're profit making without any any investment, and we've we managed to survive lockdown and thrive. So we've lots of growth in the UK, um, but we had a little tester. Um, we sent one of the team over to Florida and Miami because that was all open during lockdown. So we tested the water, as you guys said. It's not it's not the same as the UK. It's a lot harder in the US. So we, we came back um, not with dominating the US, but noticed we would need to put considerable resources to make an impact in America. So um, the reason for the question, we've we may be able to have some money to put into that expansion but should we take that risk at the moment and the easy option is the UK as you guys say so sorry Scott let me me, obviously I've got a business in Florida I've got a headquarters in Florida and you're dead right and whoever you sent out your your guys came back obviously the answers but the thing that frustrates me about Australia about America is you not believe it but the way that the rules change state to state Yep. Right, so you think you've learned everything, you think you're ready to go, and you go into the next day, and it's completely different. And it was the reason why that, that the penny dropped with me kind of quick, while there was not huge, substantial businesses that operated across the whole of the states. Like, you know, that when you go to deal in the East Coast or the Northeast Coast, that like we're, we're, in, we're in Florida, we're in Boston... When yep. we go to work in, in California, it's like, no, now we know why they call it the Republic of California, right? <laughs> you know, the rules are completely different. And so I think it's right. And and I think that um, that the way that you're going about it is correctly go and get a taster, come back, see what you think. That's what I've done in Australia. That's what I've done in America. And when I thought, no, this is fine. We can work through the system. But again, going back to what I said earlier, make sure that your business is substantial enough in the UK that you can fall back in that in case things don't work with the expansion. Brilliant. Well, well, listen, Scott, thanks for calling in this morning. Hopefully that's been a wee bit of help. And keep, keep in touch with the show yep. and keep in touch and get me when I'm in Olympic Business Park. And um, <laughs> Thank you. Good luck to you. Appreciate the help over the years. Speak soon. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. All thanks, the best, Scott. Scott. Thanks. Listen to Hunter and Hockey anywhere, anytime, wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions.